I off? There we go. I had an interesting experience the other day. I was at an event for the International Children's Game, and I started talking to this person that's the new manager at The House, which is a, a small hotel on Main Street. And I said, I noticed that you have an accent. And she goes, yes. I said, so where are you from? She goes, I am from the Ukraine. I said, oh, really? That's fascinating. She said, I said, my people, before they came to America, were also from the Ukraine. And she goes, so what city were you from? And I said, we were from a city outside of Odessa. And she goes, well, that's where I live. And all of a sudden, I had these strange feelings inside of me because I realized that part of the reason that we left Odessa is because of the religious persecution that I felt, that our, our people felt there. And now all of a sudden, there was a person from Odessa. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking is, were your people mean to my people? You know, this idea of heritage is interesting. And right now, in our culture, it's a big deal, isn't it? People, all of a sudden, as a gift, I would never have thought of this, I think as a gift, I would like you to take a cotton swab and rub it on the inside of your mouth and put it in a little tube and send it away so that you can know who you are. That's what's going on, right? People are having their DNA read and finding out what percentage they are of this and that. And it's a big deal. It's a, they're making a lot of money with these little cotton swabs and these little boxes that give us this information. People are trying to figure out where they're from, what their heritage is, what it looks like. Now, I'm fortunate in the fact that my uncle grew up in a house where um, just two generations ago, they spoke German in the home. That was the language. And uh, that, that was really the only thing they spoke. Um, and after World War I, it became, uh, World War II, it became very unpopular. And so they decided that maybe they should speak English more. But my, my uncle was an officer in the Navy, and uh, because he spoke German, they decided that maybe he should learn how to speak Russian. And so he became an intelligence officer, and in becoming an intelligence officer, and there's a reason I'm telling the story, I'll get to it in just a second, he ended up learning Russian and German, and so he has been able to go into our family history because he can speak Russian, and he can speak German, and he's taken our family back to the 13th century. But I want to do something really amazing for all of us today. Because in the Bible, in chapter 5 of Genesis, is a part of your family history. And so if somebody asks you how far back you can go, I can really now say, as I've really thought this through, I don't really go back to the 13th century. I go back to the creation of time. And so I would like you, I've asked Charlie to read it, um, I would like you to hear the beginning of your family history in Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 
So that's your genealogy. That's a part of who you are as a person. That is a part of your history. Is that we all come from that bloodline. Every single one of us. Now, for some people, these ideas at the beginning of the book of Genesis are just that. Ideas, legends. But for some of us who literally take the Bible, this is the reality of the first people that existed and this was their life. And it's interesting because we're entering into the next generation or the next history in the book of Genesis. First was the history of the heavens and the earth in chapters 1 through 4. And now we start the history of Adam. And for a couple chapters it will do this, and then we'll go on to another history. It's called a generation. So this is the next history that we're taking a look at in the book of Genesis. I want to just point out a couple things about this history that you should notice that I think are kind of important. That are things that, as you read this, maybe they're things that you hear. First of all, one of the things that we hear is, um, is that there's dual image bearers because it begins by reminding us that when God created man, he created him in his own likeness or image. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he named them man when they were created. We have to remember that we were created in the image of God. 
This is so very important because the world is just trying to say that we evolved from something else and all of a sudden became smarter than other things. But God created us uniquely and God created us in Him is His image and His likeness. We are bearers of who God is. That's really important for you to know. But it's interesting what it says in verse 3. It says this, And Adam lived 130 years, and he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Not only are we the image bearers of who God has made us, but we're also the image bearers of our families. Uh, In two weeks, I'm going to go visit North Dakota. And one of the things that I'm excited about doing when I visit North Dakota is I I made one request to my parents only. I said, I really don't want to go to church in Bismarck where you live. I want to go home to, to, to Minot and I want to attend First Baptist Minot where I grew up. That's my church. And so uh, I was really excited. I called up my uncle, who's one of the elders there, and I said, hey, I'm coming. And he goes, oh, that's great. And he says, well, you know, you've got a lot of cousins in Minot, so we're going to have this family gathering, and all of these people are going to be together. And one of the things that I will hear when I'm at First Baptist Minot and I begin speaking is I'll hear this. Jimmy, you sound just like your dad. Which is amazing because most of you know my family history. That my dad died when I was seven and a half. But that means so much to me because I am a bearer of the likeness of my father whom I deeply loved. Some of you watch your children and you listen to what they say and you you see that they're bearers of the image of your family. Do you see that? I get the biggest kick out of listening to your kids. Occasionally, your kids, when they talk, as I've gotten to know you and I've gotten to know your kids, there is this sense that there are family phrases and ways of saying things and ways of looking at things. And occasionally, it just makes me chuckle. Because we're bearers of the likeness of each other. God created us with this unique thing that He imprints on us His likeness, every single one of us. We're uniquely His, but then He allows not only that image to be impressed on us, but also the image of our mom and dad and our family. I used to joke with my mom that there would be times that she would be acting a little crazy and I'd I'd say, I'm going to call you Mabel. That's my grandmother's name because she was reminding me of the little bit of the craziness of my grandma when she would act that way. Someday my kids will do that. Occasionally I'll listen to myself and what I'm saying, and I'll go, I am definitely Arnold and Jan's son. There's, that's where that came from. You know, those things that you say you're never going to say when you grow up and have children, I say all of them. But we have this dual image And so we are like our heavenly father and we're like Father Adam that's somehow impressed on every single one of us. As you read on, there's a phrase, and I don't know if you heard it when Charlie said it, but it's said many times in this passage, and he died. I started thinking about this because, you know, the curse was made to Adam. Adam and Eve were given the curse or the consequences for their sinfulness 
many, many years before the first death of a human took place. Have you ever thought about that? And there is this sense that if they're like us as humans, which they probably are, at some point they're like, oh, that death curse, that's not that big a deal. Shoot, I, I've lived 800 years. You know? It, maybe it's not going to affect us. I think that sometimes we think that about sin. We think, oh, I think I got away with that. But then all of a sudden in this history, even though they lived for longer periods of time than when you can even imagine, we, we think it's a big deal when you live to be 100. That's like being a, a toddler in this era. But in every single one, over and over again, it says they lived and they died. They lived and they died. I think when you take a look at the genealogies of your families, you're going to see that there's always a beginning date and an ending date with a little dash in between it. Because death touches everyone. And that is the consequence of the fall. It's also, we talked about it, it's also one of God's graces because we don't have to live forever in this sin. There's an end date to it. And so we see this phrase. It's in verse 4, and it's in verse 8, and it's in verse 11, 14, 17, 27, and 31. And if you notice, there's a, a sequence missing in there. And that sequence is because the next thing that we notice in the genealogy is the life of Enoch. You see, Enoch was an exception to the death clause. Enoch walked with God. And then what does it say? Enoch walked with God, and then he was not, for God took him. That's the exception. The exception is that there's only two people in Old Testament history that have this experience. and He's one of them. Instead of experiencing with death, God just says, I'm just going to take you. You're going to be mine. Enoch was an exception. I hope that if somebody writes something on my tombstone someday, it just says, Jim walked with God. I mean, if it doesn't have the, the words after the dash and it just says, Jim, and then it goes, and then was no more, that would be awesome. But there's that one exemption in the life of Enoch. He's one of the few ones in that whole genealogy that all of a sudden gets a little more information. Most of them just get born, dead, had kids. That's it. But he was an exception. Then it's interesting because if we go back to chapter 14, you're going to find the tale of two sons. There, are, there is in the life of Cain... He conceived and bore Enoch. And when he had built a city, he called the name of the city after him Enoch. Now, if you know the story from last week, you know that Cain was supposed to be a wanderer and he immediately became a settler. He didn't listen to that part of the curse. He disregarded what was done because of the punishment of his murder. And he tried to just make his own way. I was talking, I had a, a breakfast yesterday morning with uh, Michael Beck, and he says, the most interesting thing is there's two kinds of people in my jail. There's inmates and there's convicts. 
And I said, well, aren't they the same thing? He says, no. Convicts are people that have been caught. Inmates are people that have settled into the fact that they have a punishment that they have to live out. You see, Cain was a convict. He was punished for his sin. And he decided that what he was going to do is he still was going to do things his own way. Okay, I'm going to wander. I'm going to wander somewhere and I'm going to immediately settle. I'm going to settle in my sin. And if you, it's interesting because the, the, the generations of Cain are given in the end of chapter 4, but it's not called a history. I think that's interesting, and I think the reason why is although that information was needed, that information was not elevated as important. It wasn't seen as a subline in the context or the outline. It was just information to fill in so we understood what was going on. He's the first son. And, and Cain, basically, if you take a look at the generations of his life, it's a legacy without God. Here's my concern for the area that we live in. Less than 20% of us go to church in this area. And there is a legacy in this area without God of people who haven't gone to church in their generation, who did not go to church in the generation before that, who did not go to the generation after, uh, before that, and the generation that's coming after is not going to church either. It's not a part of the pattern of their life. You know, we talk a lot about a God-filled void, that we have this void inside of us. They don't even realize they have it. Because they have learned to live a life completely outside of life with God. Then there's the second son that's mentioned. To Seth was born a son, and his name was Enosh. In chapter 4, and it says, And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And when you take a look at the genealogy of Abraham and Seth, you see that that's where the line of God calling on people comes from. So we, we want to somehow make sure our legacy is one of God. You know, my wife and I were talking about this. She was talking to her mom, and her mom said, I- I'm just so thankful that all my kids go to church, and most of their children are going to church and there's this legacy of being people of God. She says, my family's always been like that. And Nancy looked at her and says, no, 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 it hasn't. She goes, what do you mean? I says, your father left the family when you were 14. That isn't a part of the legacy of that part of the family. Part of the reason when I, I talked to that lady from Odessa that I felt the way I did is because of the legacy of God that's been in my family. The reason they left Odessa, they left at the same time of the fiddler on the roof. They left because of religious persecution and came to the United States of America. And in the little community that grandpa and grandma lived in, Underwood, North Dakota, there's a little church that has disbanded now. It's very sad. But my great-grandparents were founding members of that church. They brought that church kind of with them from Odessa to Underwood. 
so you see that in the line of Seth, there's this legacy. The, the thread of Scripture and what God is doing comes in that line of Seth. And we'll start seeing more of that. There's two Lemecks in the Bible in, in, in the two genealogies there. Remember Lemek? We talked about him last week. Lemek was the one who, who said this. He said to his wives, Ada and Zila, hear my voice, you wives of Lemek, and listen to what I say. And what did he say? He said this. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, if anybody harms them, then Lemek's is 77-fold. You see this. In, in, in Lemech, instead of understanding that that was a, a bit of a promise of God to somebody that was experiencing the punishment of God, he was just making it not that big a deal. And Cain scoffed at the curse of sin. Yeah. I killed someone. I think that if anybody touches me, they should experience seven times more Seven times as much as if they touched Cain who killed somebody. See, instead of understanding the curse and how it affects you, you see someone that is, is just has no regard for that. We live in a world that way, don't we? Here, especially in the Northeast, we live in a part where there seems very little regard for what God says. Oh, that, that's just an archaic law. We don't want to follow that law anymore. We'll make a better one. You know, you, you, you Christian people, you're just trying to put us down. You're, you're trying to limit us. You know, you're, you are so intolerant and we are intolerant of your t- intolerance. You know, and it's just crazy what we experience. But, but we live in a world where people scoff at sin and decide that it's really not that big a deal. That's the first limic. Here's the second limic. We read about him at the end of the genealogy. When Lemek had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called him Noah, saying, listen to what he said, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Do you know what Lemek wanted? He wanted comfort and redemption. He wanted his son basically to be uh, someone that would bring hope in the midst of the curse. Does that make sense? Says Lemek, hope for release from the curse of sin. You know, some of us have gotten to a point in our, in our life experience where instead of trying to rationalize the wrong things that we did or blame someone else for the wrong thing we did, we, we, we finally got on our face and we surrendered and we said, God, I can't forgive myself for the things I've done. Did you know that you do not have the power to do that? You know, you read that occasionally in these self-help books. You just need to forgive yourself. You can't. You need a higher power, someone else to forgive you. In every situation, in, in situations where even you wrong another person, most of us do not feel right until they forgive us. Why? Because they have that power we don't have it ourselves. And so some of us have realized that we need relief from this curse of sin. And so we've called on the one who died as a curse 
for us and took the punishment. And we realized that we needed a Savior. And it, it's ironic when you think about what Noah's going to be the Savior of humanity of what his father said and what he blessed him in. I think that we need to as parents, and this is just a little bit of a rabbit trail, I think we as parents need to pray about what we need to say over our children and how we need to bless our children. Because we can put God's life into them. I am standing here as a man whose father, before he died when I was seven and a half, prayed that he could be a pastor and realized that because of his sickness he couldn't. And so he took his son in his arms and he says, Dear God, if I can't be a pastor, will you make my son one? Wow. So there is a release that you see in Seth. So let's do some takeaways here. Okay? From this passage, there's just a couple. We need to really remain and understand that we're image bearers. Okay? We need, we need to do that. And, and we need to realize that in that, that we reflect something wonderful. You take a look at the Scriptures on this. You know, what does Psalm say? Psalm says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. It goes on to say in that passage in 139, it says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We live in a world that has these weird standards of how we're supposed to get our worth. And we need to go to the Word of God and say, my worth comes from the reality that I'm an image bearer of the Lord Jesus Christ and of God Himself. But not only that, but we need to give our children worth in the reality that they bear an image and a legacy as a family. When we were going through the financial challenges that we did before we came here, I literally called up my uncle and I said, I need to hear the story of the Canings again because we lost everything during the Great Depression. Why did that happen? How did they handle that? Well, the reason that happened is because we owned the stores in the little town of Underwood. And as Christians, we reached out and we took care of our neighbors sometimes who couldn't afford to buy groceries and we helped take care of their families. But at the same time, your grandparents and aunts and uncles who owned those still paid all their bills, even in their generosity. I said, well, we're going through this crisis now. How do I keep that legacy alive in the midst of this? God showed us little things. We found out that one of the men that we went to Moody Bible Institute was and was actually Nancy's boss. He was in charge of all the RAs. We found out that he was homeless. And when we were in between churches and we didn't know what to do with our tithe, we sent it to him. And in the midst of our financial crisis, we said, God, make us generous. And we did that the whole time we were in that crisis as we took our tithe and we gave it to him. God showed us how to live out this family image-bearing legacy even in the middle of crisis. God is going to do that. And so we need to... 
to do this, we need to do two things. First of all, we need to understand who we are in Christ, what it means to be an image bearer, and we also need to know what our own history is and how we live it out. If I didn't know the history of my family, I would have been concerned about that, right? But being a Koenig is important to me, and I wanted to live out the legacy of being a Koenig even in the middle of crisis. That's what it means to be a bearer of a name and of the Lord. Second one, second takeaway. So we've got to check our attitude about sin. Which Lemek are you going to be? Are you, are you going to want to see God bring the miracles of redemption to sin? Or are you just, going to, you just going to curse sin yourself and make it not that big a deal? Uh, what is your attitude about sin? Uh, you have to decide that. Which legacy are you going to live out? You know, there are certain sin patterns that every one of us has at times, and we get so used to it that all of a sudden we become immune to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in that. You don't want to live there. We need to check our attitude about sin. We don't want to have the attitude and the legacy of Cain in sin. We want to have the attitude and the legacy of Seth in sin. Not only that, but we, uh, we need to seek we should seek God to redeem our legacy. That's what we want Him to do. That's why mom can look at, at the family that we're a part of and realize that even though there was brokenness in the past, that God has redeemed the legacy of our family. And that the, the house that Nancy grew up in was very different than the house that her mother had to grow up in. To the point that it's so redeemed that mom can't remember that the other existed. Isn't that amazing? We want God to redeem the legacy of our family. There, there's some practical things that go along with that. Is that we need to be honest about our legacy and what's a part of it. And we need to, the, the things that have broken my heart more than anything is to look at my children who are good at the same sins that I've been good at. And lovingly and humbly speak to them and saying, look, your dad struggled with lying and I see it in you and we need to work on this because this is a legacy of sin that I do not want for you and I do not want for your children. We've, we've got to seek God to redeem the legacy of our lives. We, we've, we've got to stop giving ourselves permission to have a gap in our sanctification where we can think, well, it's okay. I'm pretty good. I'm better than other people I know. But the gap between being good and being godly is still great. And God is not calling us to, uh, to being just good. God's calling us to be holy as He is holy, and we need Him to redeem the legacy of our lives. We need to realize that because of Jesus Christ, we can live the exception of death. Think about that for just a second here. We may sometime, someday die physically, but we don't need to die spiritually. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's a reason why heaven is our hope. Eternity is our hope. Why? Because we're living the exception. We're, we get to walk with God forever. 
And we need to realize that we can live the exception. Some of you in this room maybe haven't gotten to that point yet. You haven't asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. So you're not living the exception yet. Someday you're going to die both physically and spiritually. But if you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, to take the punishment for your sins, and redeem you, you can live forever with God because He can give you the exception as your reality. That's when I, when I was reading through that genealogy and I came to Enoch, I just thought, you know what, God, we get to do this. We get to live this exception because when we accept You as our personal Savior, we get to live eternally with You. If you have not made that decision yet, this might be your moment. This might be your time. You need to ask Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. It's as simple as a prayer that goes, Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I accept you as my personal Savior. Help me to live my life in a way that pleases you thank you for dying on the cross for me pray simple words like that and you begin a life with jesus christ and you begin living the exception instead of the reality that death is the end instead of a great beginning i still remember helping with a bilingual funeral in south florida and I was doing the English part because I was kind of the pastor to the families and to their English-speaking children. And I was talking to the grandson before, and I said, uh, I'm sorry that your grandfather died. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, my grandfather is not dead. He's more alive than I am. He's crossed over. He's with the Lord today. That's what Scripture says, is to be absent from the body if you're a believer, is to be present with God. And I know that some of you have lost people that you love desperately. And we cling to this hope, don't we? That although for a moment we are separated, for eternity we will be connected to one another. Because we will be with Enoch. We will be with Jesus. And all of those who've believed in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And we want that just not for ourselves, but for the generations that were before us, if they're still living, and certainly the generations that follow us. Let's pray. Dear God, What in a few lines would you say about our legacy? How would you describe our life between the dashes of birth and death? God, give us strength. Whatever sin we're rationalizing at this point, God, help us to be bothered by it. And God, redeem us in us for those today that have never asked You to be their personal Savior. May this be their moment. 
may they in the quietness of this moment pray that simple prayer and accept you as your personal Savior. And God, in that quiet moment while they pray that prayer to you, for the rest of us who maybe already come to know you, give us a picture of what the legacy is that you're building in us the adjustments you need to make so we move from being simply good people to being the holy people that you called us to be. God, thanks for speaking to our spirits. Make what you're saying the reality of who we are in you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Why don't you all stand? Um, Charlie's going to lead us in a song or two.